soldier To everyone he meets He stays a stranger Whatever move he makes Another chance he takes Odds are he won't live to see tomorrow Welcome, my friends. Welcome to this June 15th, 2007 edition of the Corbett Report. I am your host, James Corbett, podcasting to you, as always, from the sunny climes of western Japan. Next week, June 23rd, will mark the 22nd anniversary of the Air India disaster. Anniversaries, of course, are not important in and of themselves, but... They do give us a chance to reflect on things that have passed and to ask questions about those events. It is in that spirit that I turn the resources of our open source intelligence investigation to the events of the Air India Flight 182 disaster and its subsequent investigation. First, some background about Air India Flight 182. On June 23, 1985, a 747 took off from Toronto on its way to London Heathrow en route to an eventual destination of Bombay. The flight exploded at an altitude of 31,000 feet over the Atlantic Ocean, just south of Ireland. All 307 passengers and 22 flight crew on board were killed. Moments earlier, a second bomb, which had been intended for Air India 301 bound for Bangkok, went off at Narita International Airport in Tokyo, killing two baggage handlers and injuring four. Suspicion for the bombing quickly came to rest with a group calling itself Babar Khalsa. It was a Sikh separatist group devoted to creating a Sikh state in the Punjab. In November of 1985, the RCMP charged Talwinder Singh Parmar and Inderjit Singh Rayat with weapons, explosives, and conspiracy offenses, but no evidence linking them to Air India was discovered, and only Rayat was convicted of weapons offenses, paying a fine of $2,000. From there, the gears of justice moved at their traditional glacial pace, and it wasn't until May 1991 that Rayat was convicted on manslaughter charges for helping construct the Narita bomb. Twelve years after that, or 18 years after the original bombing, two more Babar Khalsa adherents went on trial for their part in the bombing. After two decades of investigation and criminal proceedings costing an estimated $107 million, they were eventually acquitted of all charges because of a lack of evidence. Of course, this provoked an outcry in Canada for an inquiry into the investigation of the Air India disaster. And subsequently, Prime Minister Stephen Harper launched an investigation on May 1, 2006. One of the stated goals of this inquiry was to investigate, quote, whether the RCMP and the Canadian Security Intelligence Service cooperated adequately in the investigation, end quote. This is a curious thing for the investigation to be uh, looking into. Why would the RCMP and the Canadian Security Intelligence Service, better known as CSIS, have information that they would not have shared with the criminal proceedings hitherto? Well, 
The Air India inquiry is still ongoing, but already there has been groundbreaking testimony from highly placed government officials who have testified that the RCMP and CSIS didn't just have their suspicions about Babar Khalsa preceding the attack. They had specific credible evidence which they failed to act upon. We're going to turn now to some audio clips of testimony from that commission of inquiry, starting with James Bartleman. He is the current Lieutenant Governor of Ontario and has a long and distinguished career serving the Government of Canada. But suffice it to say that at the time of the Air India bombing, he was the Director of Security and Intelligence for the Department of External Affairs, which is currently known as the Department of Foreign Affairs. And he testified before the Commission on May 3rd, 2007. Let's go to the audio clip. Um, um, Mr. Bartleman. Uh, one of the most widely held assumptions about the bombing of Air India Flight 182 that departed Toronto on June 22nd, 1985, is that there was no specific advance warning of the threat of uh, uh, such a, an attack. Um, from your knowledge and experience, is that assumption correct? I can only tell you my experience. Uh, in the week of June 18, uh, the week of the uh, bombing, which took place on the 23rd, I was going through the daily uh, uh, intercept package from CSE, CSE, and I saw in there a document which indicated that Air India was being targeted uh, that weekend, specifically the weekend of the 22nd, 23rd. I knew that there was a meeting going on in the operations center. I believe it was of the ad hoc uh, group on uh, Sikh terrorism that I had set up, uh, but it could have been another meeting uh, 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 dealing with, uh, with uh, Sikh terrorism. But in any case, I knew they were down there. And so I took the document and I put it in a secure folder and I walked down to the meeting and I asked the senior RCMP officer present if I could speak to him privately. My memory is that he was a superintendent, but with the passage of years he could have been a, uh, uh, an inspector. And I pulled out the document and I asked him if he had seen it and if he was taking action. His reaction uh, uh, startled me. Uh, he flushed and told me that of course he had seen it and that he didn't need me to tell him how to do his job. And so I said, fine. Um, that confirmed that he had seen it and that the RCMP was, would take that into consideration and would do what was necessary. I then took it back and uh, uh, that was that. Then the next thing in, in my memory is the downing of the aircraft. So there we have a particularly damning indictment of the RCMP from Mr. Bartleman, who, let's remember, was the Director of Security and Intelligence for the Department of External Affairs. And in that clip, we heard him basically accusing the RCMP of failing to act upon specific credible intelligence that he had received in the days prior to the attack and not only being ignored when he tried to bring that to the RCMP officer's attention, but in fact actually derided for attempting to bring that to its, his attention.
But the RCMP's role was not the only role of an investigative agency that seems to have ignored specific credible evidence ahead of time. More clues to the fact that the Canadian government had an inkling of what was going to happen that weekend comes from some testimony that was delivered on May 17, 2007, to the Commission inquiry by Mr. Graham Pinos and Ms. Michael Ann MacDonald. We'll start by listening to a clip from Mr. Graham Pinos, who was in Los Angeles the week prior to the Air India bombing, uh, attending some international hearings on terrorism that were unrelated to Sikh extremism. Mr. Penis testified that there was a senior CSIS official attending that trial in Los Angeles, and it was his job to make sure that the RCMP and other agencies did not divulge national security uh, in the course of the proceedings which they were attending. And Mr. Pinos testified that he and Mr. Deshane, Mr. Mel Deshane of CSIS, would often spend time talking shop, as it were, talking about their respective work and what they were interested in these days. And it was in the course of his talking with uh, Mr. Deshane that Mr. Pinos discovered that perhaps CSIS did indeed have some prior warning of the Air India bombing. Again, let's go to the audio clip of Mr. Graham Pinos testifying before the commission on May 17th. Um, there's a need for caution here because of national security confidentiality issues. and uh, I've been told that. So I'll ask you, uh, in view of that, uh, to tell us what you can about what Mr. Deschen told you about the nature of the problem. An element of Sikhs was in the uh, Indian community in, uh, in Canada and that uh, he perceived them as being dangerous and they're likely to bring a plane down. How distinct is your recollection of what Mr. Deshen said to you at that point? Um, I've had to, had to filter it because of the concern that you expressed, but I have an absolutely clear recollection of the event and the circumstances. It was something that shocked me. At some point during that weekend then of June 22nd and June 23rd, did you learn of what happened to Air India Flight 182 and also what happened at the Narita Airport in Tokyo? I did, yeah. What was your reaction to that, Mr. Pinos? I was uh, greatly upset. I said, holy expletive, they knew. They knew. And uh, I had a distinct impression that they knew that something was going to happen. What gave you that impression? My discussion with Mr. Deshane. Holy expletive, they knew, they knew. Rather interesting testimony from Mr. Pinos. And that testimony was corroborated by Miss Michael Ann MacDonald on testimony given on the same day to the Commission of Inquiry. On May 17, 2007, she testified also about Mr. Deshane 
and how he had actually informed her ahead of time that he was going to be leaving the proceedings in Los Angeles in order to return to Canada to work on an urgent matter related to Sikh extremism just days before the Air India bombing. We'll listen to this clip again of her testimony to the commission in which she relates not only what Mr. Deshane told her before he left, but also an interesting story involving CSIS paying her a friendly little courtesy call directly to her residence. I was kind of the convener of the commission and everybody looked to me in terms of arrangements. Uh, and Mr. Deshane advised me that he had to leave. Did he give a reason as to why he had to leave? He had received a call from Canada. Uh, there was an urgent problem with Sikh extremists in Vancouver and he had to leave to go to Vancouver immediately. And he gave his apologies. Uh, uh, my recollection was, you know, sort of give my apologies to Justice Uischuk. I, we, we've had to go. Ms. McDonald, in view of what Mr. Deshen had told you, did you become concerned in the course of that weekend? At some point, and I'm not sure whether it was Saturday or Sunday night or Monday morning, I was away in Carmel. I wasn't at the hotel where other people were. Um, at some point, either on my return Sunday night or early Monday morning, uh, I became aware first of the Narita explosion and then later in the day uh, of the Air India uh, explosion and the, uh, the loss of the aircraft and its passengers. And I was working that Monday at the U.S. Attorney's Office on Spring Street in Los Angeles. Do you recall your reaction on learning of those events? I was extremely distressed. Um, I was very, very upset. I had some knowledge of Sikh issues from other work I had done at the Attorney General's Office. I immediately re reflected back on what Mr. Duchenne had said to me when he was leaving. And my immediate reaction was, even when they know something's going to happen, they can't stop it. At some point, did someone contact you seeking a statement from you? After I spoke to Mr. Jardine, um, and I believe uh, it was sometime between July of 1988 and Oct early October of 1988, um, because of where I was. It was uh, the house of my husband's house. Uh, we were married October 7th, 1988. Um, my husband and I were standing, I'm not sure if we were married then, it could have been before we were married, but we were standing in the kitchen doing dishes and a car pulled up in the driveway behind our house. And um, it was a large black car with blacked out windows. And my husband said, what's that? And uh, with that, Four people got out of the vehicle, two of whom walked towards the house, and I said that ceases. How did you know that? Um, I just knew, and I knew it was a government car. Um, I, I just the way they were when they got out of the car, they they, they did a wheel formation, uh, uh, and, and um, the front right passenger got out, walked towards exactly where I was looking. I recognized that person as a CSS person. The front right passenger and the back driver's side passenger got out of the car and walked towards me. The other two got out and stood on opposite points of the car. And 
um, the two walked towards my house. And my husband said, as they were walking towards my house, I, I, I know I recognize the one person. I can't tell you who he was. Um, I believe he's the same person that approached me in 1983 with respect to an extortion case that was ongoing in the city of Toronto, prosecuted by the Toronto Crown's office by Mary Hall. I think it was one of the same two people who came to see me at the Crown office then. Did you speak to these people who arrived at Port Carling? I did. I immediately um, dried my hands off. I was washing dishes, walked out of the house. My husband said, what ceases? As I'm, as I'm walking to the door, he says, what ceases? He had no idea. And I said, you don't want them in your house. And I walked out the door and walked down the driveway. Okay, let's get to your conversation with these people whom you understood to be from CSIS. Can you tell us about that, uh, please? I met them halfway up the driveway. They indicated they wanted to speak to me about the information I had provided uh, about... I'm not sure if they said to Mr. Jardine or if they said about the seat case in Vancouver or NBC, but the thrust of it was they wanted to talk to me about what information I had conveyed to Jardine, whether they did it using his name or the substance of the information, I can't recollect which. I was given two business cards by the two people who approached me. Um, I asked them if they had a, a release or direction from the Attorney General of Ontario to permit me to discuss that with them, and they indicated they did not. Um, I indicated that, that unless I had direction from the Attorney General, I wasn't prepared to provide a statement, but if they could get a direction from the Attorney General of Ontario, I'd be happy to provide a statement. Um, I was a little uh, concerned that it was CSIS, investigating CSIS, uh, and my instincts were that I didn't really trust that. CSIS, investigating CSIS certainly does sound suspicious, doesn't it? But perhaps you, like Miss McDonald's husband, or like myself very shortly before, are a bit confused about CSIS. CSIS, again, is the Canadian Security Intelligence Service. Perhaps we need some background facts about CSIS before continuing. CSIS was conceived in the iniquity of the RCMP Security Service, which was responsible for domestic intellig intelligence gathering and national security investigations until the founding of CSIS in 1984. According to the BC Civil Liberties Association, quote, in the late 1970s, the Macdonald Commission of Inquiry into certain acts of the RCMP found that the RCMP had infiltrated many nonviolent public interest organizations, including political parties. It also found that the RCMP had, had compiled dossiers on tens of thousands of Canadian citizens and even engaged in dirty tricks to discredit various groups. As a result of the investigation, the Macdonald Commission concluded that it was necessary to remove responsibility for national security intelligence gathered from the RCMP and place it within an organization that had a carefully limited mandate and strict civilian oversight. End quote. This agency was duly set up in an Act of Parliament, which passed in 1984, and this agency was CSIS. CSIS was uh, originally seemingly on the ball with their investigation of Sikh extremists in Vancouver. Uh, according to recent reports, CSIS had singled out Talwinder Singh Parmar, the alleged mastermind of the uh, bombing, for surveillance weeks before the attacks. 
CSIS even followed Mr. Parmar and one of his associates as they tested bombs on Vancouver Island on June 4th. And physical evidence from those tests was even recovered and later used to convict Mr. Rayat of the Narita bombing. And now we have high-level government officials like Graham Pinos and Michael Ann McDonald saying that a senior CSIS official suddenly left an important proceeding in Los Angeles just days before the flight because of uh, Sikh extremists who he had mentioned were seeking to bring down a plane. All the elements were in place for CSIS to bust these people before they launched their attack. So what happened? Unfortunately, the evidence of CSIS foreknowledge of this bombing doesn't just end up with the information already presented. More is revealed in a document entitled Tab 89, the transcript of an interview <coughs> conducted with one of the accused bombers, Ajib Singh Bagri, where Sergeant Jim Hunter of the RCMP reveals that one of the co-conspirators, Surjan Singh Gill, was a CSIS mole in the organization. Here's a quote from that document. Surjan trying to back out. Now, why is he trying to back out? Cold feet? There's been some damage control already because Tellwinder knows what he's tri that he's trying to back out. And, of course, why is he trying to back out? Well, because his, because his CSIS agents have told him to back out. They told him to get out of there, that things are happening and you can't be seen as part of that. End quote. Again, that is an RCMP officer revealing that Surjan Singh Gill one of the co-conspirators in the Air India bombing was actually a CSIS mole who had CSIS agents telling him to get out of the organization literally days before the Air India bombing because the heat was too intense and they didn't want to be implicated in the bombing itself. This is further corroborated by Staff Sergeant Don Adam in a separate interview with another accused, Ripudaman Malik, also from October 2000. And here he admits that investigators destroyed a lot of the wiretap evidence which could easily have convicted Parmar and others of the bombing. Quote, And you know, if you were a policeman, why would a government agency destroy the very tapes that would, you know, of Mr. Parmar's? Why would... Can you think of why? Perhaps if your agent was right in the middle of it, and then it happened, and now you were all going to look horrible, you might, you might have a reason to cover that up, wouldn't you? End quote. So again, we have an RCMP official talking about the cover-up of the investigation. So, who is Surjan Singh Gill, and where is he now? Well, apparently he was a CSIS mole, but he didn't just infiltrate the group. There is actually government documentation available online. Again, please, for all of the documentation in all of my episodes... Go to my website, CorbettReport.com, and look up the documentation by time index under the Episodes tabs. You can find the actual government documentation proving that he was one of the co-signators on the documentation that incorporated the Babar Khalsa Sikh terrorist group in Canada as a religious group. A CSIS agent actually helped set the group up. It also seems Mr. Gill uh, is gifted in the arts of prescience because he has a knack of knowing when to escape. Not only did he pull out of Babar Khalsa at the behest of his CSIS handlers three days before the Air India bombing, he had the great fortune of leaving Canada for England just weeks before Malik and Bagri were arrested by the RCMP in October 2000, and he never returned. He remains there to this day. This issue was even mentioned on the floor of the House of Commons on the 2nd of June 2003. 
You can find it on Hansard's transcripts, available online. And Mr. Kevin Sorensen from Crowfoot, the honorable member from Crowfoot representing the Canadian Alliance at that time, said the following, quote, Mr. Speaker, the RCMP claimed that CSIS erased wiretaps, that it destroyed files to cover up the fact that it knew about the plot of the bombing of Air India Flight 182. Allegations are surfacing that a CSIS agent may have been involved in the conspiracy to blow up Flight 182. The Solicitor General is the minister who is in charge. He is the minister in charge of this department. When will he initiate an inquiry of e- to either prove or dispel the allegations against CSIS? End quote. Well, of course, the inquiry has now been set up, but there is so far no talk of finding Mr. Gill or bringing him before the inquiry. So to recap, we have a CSIS mole establishing a terrorist group and then pulling out three days before they pull off the greatest mass murder in Canadian history. We have government admissions that hundreds of wiretaps, which could have been used to convict those responsible, were destroyed in a deliberate cover-up. Before you roll your eyes at me, really think about what this information implies. It does not imply simply that the RCMP or that CSIS knew about these attacks beforehand and failed to act. It implies that they were actually part of the planning and operation which brought about these attacks. They were actually involved in setting up the planning and following through up until the moment, literally days before the attacks happened. And before you roll your eyes at me that there's nothing that an average citizen can do about this, that this is just how the spook world operates and there's nothing we can do, I say get involved. Contact your member of parliament if you're a Canadian citizen and demand that Surjan Singh Gill is brought before the Air India inquiry. Or if you're not a Canadian citizen, if you're an American citizen, or if you live in Ireland or wherever you live in this world, please get behind the 9-11 truth movement. It is the conduit for opening people's eyes to the reality of government-sponsored terror. Once we realize that governments can stage and provocateur terrorist attacks against their own population, we can realize that we have to take this power away from the secret services which run our countries behind the scenes. CSIS is not your friend. Protecting government secrecy is not a noble cause. Fighting to prevent these types of bombings from happening in the future is the way that we honor the dead. I am your host, James Corbett. Thank you for joining me for this edition of the Corbett Report. Join me again next week for episode four of the Corbett Report. I've been doing a little reading lately. And I've discovered that A flame of kerosene burns at a maximum of 1,000 degrees Celsius. That's jet fuel. Structural steel, on the other hand, can withstand about 1,500 degrees for hours before melting. It's 500 degrees greater than jet fuel. That got me to thinking. Maybe 9-11 was an inside job. 9-11 was an inside job. 9-11 was an inside job. 9-11 was an inside job.
and went home. 